From the Inspiration offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I'm Andrew Leadham, Associate Director here at Inspiratia, and this is Episode 4. I'm here in the Goat Rodeo studio in Washington, D.C. with Patrick Malloy. He and I are going to answer a few questions from some listeners, have a bit of a conversation about uh, some current topics in the hydrogen world. Today we'll be speaking with Enas Abohamed. She's the CEO and co-founder of H2Go Power, which is a hydrogen energy storage company based in London. Chris is going to call in from Inas' office. We're going to do an interview with her and then do a, a debrief afterwards with Chris. So, Patrick, how was your weekend? Nice long weekend. I know you're moving. Yeah, a lot of box packing. Sweet. Always exciting. Cool. Well, with that, <laughs> let's get started. <laughs> All right, so we started receiving questions from listeners via email recently. So thank you guys for actually listening to the podcast and then uh, then submitting some uh, some some thoughtful questions. Let's see what we have. First question then is from Philip. So Philip writes, "Hi, I really enjoy your podcast and it's an invaluable resource." That's absolutely correct, Philip. It's not a question, but it's absolutely correct. One topic that has always bothered me about hydrogen is its efficiency of around 30% starting from production to usage in the fuel cell. It would be interesting to elaborate on this and its development in the future. What do you say to that, Patrick? Very good question. Uh, an important thing to be generally aware of. So what this is about is the the transition of energy through the system. So if there's any uh, science or engineer folk out there, uh, they're going to love this. this. You know, it's your second law of thermodynamics. So essentially it is that if you take energy and you transform it or transition it through different states, you have uh, an ever-increasing loss every time you transition. Um, so the efficiency number that, that Philip speaks to, 30%, that's something that's generally kind of, you know, you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of the general kind of approximation. You see loss in, in every energy system. That, that kind of has that transition. But also, you know, if, if you want to compare it, right, I think you get about 14% typically energy efficiency with uh, ICs, you know, so internal combustion engines. And then obviously hydrogen uh, electrolyzer efficiency and then through to f- particularly fuel cell use, you see a, a, a loss, right? And this is one of the arguments you'll hear a lot around particularly electric vehicles and, and you know, battery electric vehicles in particular, that their, their energy and electrical uh, efficiency is actually better. That is an absolutely valid kind of question concern, especially as you're breaking out and designing these systems and you're looking to optimize systems. You need to be aware of the relative efficiencies. What that doesn't take account for, and which is why I, I personally am very interested in hydrogen around, around kind of some comparable kind of situations, is this doesn't talk to flexibility. It talks about the linear process, right? So what happens when you don't have access to grid power, right? So now you have a storage challenge, right? So battery efficiency over time, duration factor starts to kick in. It's not to say that batteries aren't valuable. It's that there's an an additional aspect to this that you then have to start to take account of. Then, and I I talk about this, I think, pretty much every episode, so why not talk about it now? It's a question of use case. And when I say use case, I mean, are you sensitive to weight? Are you sensitive to duration? Are uh, are you sensitive to uh, kind of a combination of those factors? Um, 
then you suddenly have a different aspect to the process in addition to these efficiency ratios or these efficiency percentages. So there's, you know, this is a very fair and appropriate question. This is very important. This is why I believe we're not talking about a, a, a true kind of competition in any sense between battery electric vehicles versus fuel cell electric vehicles. I think there is a very, very solid complementary aspect to this. And I think we're going to talk to, uh, to an ass later on who's going to talk to us about uh, power systems yeah. and hydrogen use in that. Phil, great question, but uh, a big question, really. I mean, this is something we'll come back to frequently over the podcast, right? I mean, this is something that is important to the industry in general from you know A to B yeah, to and, C to D. And it, and it comes into many of the, uh, the kind of decision-making processes that we're going to have to make over the next number of years around how we transition away from fossil fuels and what that looks like and where we can most readily do that. So yeah, it's it's an absolutely critical question. It's a good question to 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 have as we start to answer questions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll probably expand on that and and build out as we talk to people going forward. For sure, I think Phil hit on a uh, on a central theme here. So it's something that we'll we'll come back to many times. Then we have a follow up question, which is actually from a, a friend of ours from uh, from grad school up in New York. Uh, so, Mark, thanks for sending over the question. He listened to the ITM Power interview with Graham Cooley from the last episode. And Mark's question was, for a retail investor, is there such a thing as a hydrogen ETF? Is there some way that retail investors can get involved in the space and be investing in hydrogen energy? You can tell he's in the finance world. So is there an ETF? I don't know if there's an ETF. I'm not sure that there is. Um, Mark, use Google. Well, yes, maybe. <laughs> maybe, Mark. I think, you know, there's enough publicly traded companies who are, who are out there and have, you know, some of them have launched a little while ago. Some of them have a good long track record at this stage. You can probably, across most markets, find find access to some of those companies or indeed trade internationally. I would be surprised if there isn't some level of kind of fund either either covered through some of the innovation funds or indeed uh, covered through maybe some green funds that that mightn't look at some of these things um but to speak to to one specific etf or to general i don't i can't pull one together to be perfectly honest sure well fair answer and i think i mean this is this is a space that's new investors are often institutional they are uh you know, they are large-scale investors. It's a lot of private companies as well. So this is something that looks a lot like the energy world <laughs> investment landscape, right? So this is not necessarily something that the the average retail investor is getting involved in just yet, outside of the publicly traded private companies. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right to me. Yeah, right, fair enough. No, don't like that answer. Don't disagree. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> good. If anybody's uh, got a better one, let us know. <laughs> Okay, Mark, we are going to address your questions in stages. So that was the first question that you've submitted that Patrick just addressed, and uh, we'll come back to uh, your battery and lithium-ion mining question, lithium mining questions later. But uh, big news in the hydrogen world, Patrick. Nikola, two hundred fifty million Series D. What's it mean? What's going to happen? Is this the big? <laughs> is this the day? Is this the tipping point? Two two hundred fifty million. Series D raise, yeah, this is this is pretty big. You know, there have been pretty consistent announcements of of both funding and plans to to build out. It's good. This this looks like 
they have the the resources to now try and action some of the plans that they laid out, whether it be you know specifically the uh, refueling stations or whether it's partnerships are now going to kick into place. I think Anheuser Busch released some kind of news on their trucks earlier last week or maybe middle of last week. Honestly, this this looks good. This looks like this kind of whole. Uh, grand plan might might start to kick into action and you know look we we don't have any of the uh, the insider information it would be lovely to get uh, somebody from nicola to come in and, and talk to us and and unveil the next stage of the grand plan but but by the same token yeah like like obviously they have a strategy that is compelling to investors and that strategy with each round of funding gets closer to actual action and engagement so Encouraging, yes. Um, good for the sector, yes. Good for improving the perspective of investors towards the sector, um, and good generally to raise awareness of of what the applications are and where this where this is kind of kicking off. I, I want to follow up a little bit and just ask. I've gone on Nicola's website. I've reserved my uh, my jet ski. Don't worry. But uh, have they delivered any of these trucks yet? Have they started building these refueling stations? Do you know? No, I, I don't know when the uh, when the delivery date is. Um, I don't know that they've started building yet. What I what I can say is that you know reasonably recently, I'm pretty sure Nell has announced and they are a strategic partner a yeah. one gigawatt. Uh, production facility. In addition to, as a follow-on from our conversation with with uh, with Graham, who also now has a one gigawatt uh, <laughs> facility. So it's a magic number. You know, look, I think there's a lot of pieces starting to come together between the funding and, as I said, the the Nell uh, kind of production capacity. And you know, as more partners come on board, as the demand for these trucks kind of kicks in, I think Anheuser Busch is. 800 vehicles uh, from um, from Nikola. I think it's 800 vehicles as a first order, and they've kind of outlined approximately their um, their strategy and approach towards rolling these out and building out a whole infrastructure. That also, as as far as I can recall, is a they've I think they've taken 40 of the the, the Tesla semis as well. Okay. So there's a there's an integrated strategy. This is an interesting one. Um, so yeah, let's let's watch this space closely because it's accelerating. All right. Well, thanks for walking us through a couple of those questions, Patrick. And I think uh, we've got a, a few others to address coming up in the next couple of episodes. But for now, that's going to do it for today. But I think uh, Chris is calling in on the other line, and uh, so we'll go straight over to him and in us. So Nas, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Uh, for our listeners, Nas is the CEO of H2Go Power. Uh, H2Go Power, as Nas will uh, tell us a little bit more about on the show today, is a company that provides solid-state uh, hydrogen storage solutions. They're based in the UK. Uh, in fact, uh, fortunately for our listeners, we have the pleasure of having uh, Nas in company. So actually, in Imperial College's map room. So I'm being told, which which has a grand name, but only two maps. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Thanks a lot, Chris. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here, and I'm very happy to contribute to the conversation uh, about hydrogen, a market that is definitely growing uh, impressively at, at this time, and it's very important to discuss it and share our knowledge and experience. So, we're just kicking off. Um, hydrogen energy storage has long been seen as one of the most challenging components of the hydrogen energy system. Uh, in fact, it probably still remains 
many would say, uh, one of the last pieces of the puzzle to unlock to truly make hydrogen viable as a market solution. Um, so just a few questions for our listeners. Um, why is storing hydrogen so hard? Uh, well, first, just to start with an introduction, um, within the next five years, the hydrogen storage market is projected to be between six to 10 billion US dollars. So it is an existing market that is big enough and that is growing. Now, the difficulty uh, around storing hydrogen comes from the molecule. Uh, hydrogen is a happy gas. It doesn't want to be confined into uh, uh, one space. So in order to bring a lot of hydrogen molecules that could achieve a, a compelling energy density, we need to compress gas. And this, is, this has been the conventional uh, um, storage methodology in the industry. Uh, now it works, it's good, it can achieve energy densities, uh, however there are a lot of uh, issues uh, around that. Um, practicality, uh, cost and importantly safety. And if we really focus on uh, the safety uh, troubles that comes from compressing gas to hydrogen gas, up to uh, high pressures. That means commercially that you are locking uh, potential and there are many applications that you would consider and reconsider uh, because of the danger of, of the storage process. Sure. All right. So, so I mean, I think you did a really nice job there of sort of explaining some of the challenges and, and I guess how, sort of how compression has been sort of the main solution. So why is H2Go Power different? So what is your company doing that's different from what's been done before? And uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about the magic sauce, if we want to call it that, or what the sort of secret ingredients are that makes your solution unique. Um, so um, the simple answer is that we don't compress gas. Uh, and the more uh, detailed answer is basically, we are taking the process uh, from compression and working around uh, pressures and having to deal with that to basically uh, we're turning that into a temperature game. So H2Go Power turns hydrogen gas into a, a solid state stored uh, material and only at the point of demand uh, we convert it back to gas. Uh, but during the uh, storage uh, uh, process it, it is kept as solid state. And that basically has uh, numerous advantages. The safety uh, problem that we started with, uh, this is a problem that we solved. Because we don't work with uh, highly compressed gas, we're able to work with uh, very low pressures, 2 to 10 bars. And the coffee machine that you have at home basically works at similar pressure ranges. So um, th this is the main advantage that we're, we're working on. If, but because we have a lot of commercial aspirations and we want to sell products in the market, uh, we also need to look into uh, being cost competitive and uh, very suitable to applications that other solutions cannot address very efficiently. Uh, and this is as well like an, uh, another dimension that we're looking at and developing technology to, to address. I guess, Nas, um, one of the things that uh, people find very difficult, and when I say people, I mean people like my mum find very difficult, is understanding visually what these things look like. You know, it, explaining what a fuel cell looks like, what an electrolyzer looks like, is very difficult. Um, you know, when we were tr trying to do design graphics for the show to illustrate hydrogen, it was a nightmare because hydrogen is very hard to visually show as well. So 
what does a solid state hydrogen solution sort of look like? What does it entail? You know, how would people visualize it? So we work with different materials that can achieve the same function based on the application we choose the material uh, and based on the cost that would suit the application. Some applications are cost insensitive, uh, some uh, other applications have a very high weight percentage uh, for, for storage requirements, uh, but most of the materials that we use, they look like sand. All right. <laughs> and do you have an efficiency loss when you're converting hydrogen from a gas into a uh, molecule that is being bound to these sand type components, which are then being stored? Is What is the sort of efficiency? You know, you obviously have these safety benefits, but what is the trade off? So the efficiency question is a very good question. And sometimes it can be also a bad question because it seems like a lot of people are not giving hydrogen a chance because of the efficiency question. So um, we do have efficiency losses because we need to heat the system that the material is present in, in order to extract the gas out. Uh, however, we were able to uh, develop and patent a technology that could recover heat from the surrounding. So you minimize the efficiency losses and uh, optimize operations final one on this sort of theme in terms of sort of the scale that this can kind of go between so you've obviously talked about some quite small applications and I know that there's some quite interesting uh, market niches that HGO Power have been working on um, what's sort of, the, sort of the smallest end of a system of this size and then you know are we talking 100 megawatts of storage a gigawatt of storage so just trying to give people a sense of how broad potentially a solution like this could be so um, at the moment we are designing two products and one of them is uh, power for drones that is based on the uh, solid state systems uh, where we basically build systems uh, that have very accurate internal structures to manage heat and basically um, these are uh, more on the small scale these could power uh, drones for three times longer than typical uh, lithium polymer uh, batteries uh, uh, however, so, so we're talking about kilowatts uh, in power and um, the other side of the scale is a second product that we're developing which is plug-and-play uh, stationary power units. Uh, these would work well and would be cost efficient if we scale them to a megawatt hour scale. So these, these are the two ends of the scale that we're working on. Okay, so in us, the current hydrogen market is growing rather rapidly in both the mobility and portable market segments. We want to know where H2GO Power is focusing at this time. The technology that we're developing, we have to really customize it for application for positioning reasons. And because we're a small startup, uh, it's very important to focus on uh, go-to-market uh, applications. So basically, we take the um, um, the competitive advantage of the technology and we position it in the best market that it could serve. W when it comes to mobility, I think the, the, the drones uh, product um, is the closest uh, product to mobility that I can think of uh, because of the technical advantages that we have with this particular technology. Uh, uh, we're, um, we're working uh, on uh, scaling it. So at the moment, the scale that we've uh, tested the technology for is a, is a 20 kilogram drone and uh, we're scaling it from uh, there up. 
hopefully within the next few years, uh, we can develop it to work with EV tolls. That would be a, a great positioning for a technology like that. And the larger the uh, uh, aircraft is, basically the more payload gains you can have with these systems. Um, so this, this is when it comes to uh, the mobility sector. Uh, just want to jump in quickly. You, you mentioned VTOL just for listeners who don't know what a VTOL is. Do you want to just quickly crash course that? If you think about a flying taxi, the, uh, um, a vertical takeoff and landing uh, a vehicle, uh, this would be an VTOL. Sorry, so that was a bit of a sorry. I interrupted you. So then, so portable power. Uh, and for uh, portable power, as I mentioned already, we're working on uh, two products, the power for drones and the uh, plug-and-play uh, stationary units. So these are stationary but portable. So um, the idea is that we develop an energy storage system that would store energy in the form of hydrogen. But after you uh, made the, the units, you basically could uh, ship them around or move them from one place to another based uh, on the demand or uh, the user or the contract length uh, or the community that you're serving. Where right now is there sort of the greatest need for this type of solution? Um, you know, to an extent, we've been able to utilize compressed hydrogen storage in vehicles, and that's been reasonably okay. We obviously have industrial familiarity with certain storage solutions, and people are quite comfortable with sort of hydrogen caverns. So, so where is there kind of the greatest need that you're seeing for the solution that H2Go Power provides? Where is it making a real difference to a case that maybe hydrogen wouldn't work in without a solid, solid state solution? So looking at um, off-grid opportunities, for example, uh, islands or developing countries without uh, access to their developed grids or no grids in some areas. Uh, integrating uh, solar or wind uh, is, uh, the, the, I mean, the curve uh, is only looking, uh, it's, it's the adaption wave is only growing, sorry. And um, because of that, when you have a generation and you don't have a, a, a reliable um, method to put your electricity in like the grid, uh, then storage would make sense. The question is what storage solution is most applicable uh, to integrating renewable energy and um, if uh, if the cost of diesel or access to diesel is complicated uh, and you could generate um, uh, hydrogen uh, locally and store energy in the form of hydrogen and then only use it at the point of demand when, when it peaks, then it would make sense to integrate solutions like that. And these are the applications that we're looking at. Uh, one more application, which is um, a reinforcing grid. So in the future, uh, as we integrate more and more renewable energy in the mix, it might make more sense uh, instead of reinforcing grids that have very high costs to integrate batteries or hydrogen. And this depends on um, the duration of storage that you want to achieve. Uh, and this technology is very good for long durations uh, storage. And, and it would make sense to integrate it in uh, grids because of its cost and reliability. So I guess a link question to that is, and ask, how easy is it actually to get hold of the materials that you are using for storage? I mean, you mentioned developing countries is this something that actually 
um, you could manufacture in the future in multiple locations, or do you require certain quite rare earths or unique components that would be not only maybe quite difficult to find and also maybe quite difficult to recycle, given that that's also now a big sort of question that people have around new technologies is the sort of life cycle effects of it? Uh, so that's a, that's a really uh, good question. And we looked into this area quite a lot because some of mat the materials that we uh, use, um, they have very long lifetime. But at the, so you could use them for uh, 10,000 or 15,000 cycles, which is really good. But at the end of the 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 the, the lifetime of the material, uh, you will um, you will not be able to use it again for the same purpose, and it's a waste. Um, so uh, this is a, a, a question that many other industries uh, as well are uh, trying to answer. Uh, what we're trying to do is not to use the same materials that other energy storage solutions use, like batteries. Because if you diversify, you're not over dependent on one element or two elements. Uh, that diversity basically is, uh, is going to help you progress in your uh, uh, commercial opportunity. Um, Regarding the waste question, uh, at the moment we don't know, it, it, it wouldn't be a harmful way, but, but we wouldn't know uh, at this point uh, what would be able to use the waste for. Uh, but we know that it's not harmful. And as, um, just this is, this is very new in emerging technologies. I'm, I'm just wondering, how have, you, how have you found fundraising and, and how have you engaged investors so far? Um, so um, we're an early stage uh, company pre-revenues and when it comes to talking about fundraising in the energy industry, it is very different to uh, fundraising in, um, in any other industry because it's not a software uh, product that we're developing. Uh, you cannot rely on revenue coming from users uh, very quickly. And it's very difficult to um, uh, to build the the investment deck that financial investors would like to look at, because we don't generate uh, uh, returns very quickly. The development cycle is the technical development cycle is quite um, long. Uh, so our biggest investors so far have been the government, the European Commission, and uh, a few other uh, uh, organizations that were that are supported by the government uh, indirectly. And this is a major enabler for companies like us to basically grow and develop technology that could get to the point that we're at, which is achieving, you know, a, a, a certification for product and and, and um, grow from here to uh, basically uh, have commercial partnerships uh, with uh, with other more established players in the market. Uh, it, approaching financial investors have not been um, uh, very successful so far for these reasons. Uh, but strategic partners that have uh, that spend heavily on R and D and they don't necessarily have similar technologies, uh, we find uh, talk having the the conversation with them about fundraising and collaboration much easier and, and uh, much more fruitful. I think you've answered a, a couple of uh, the, the kind of areas around kind of obstacles and challenges. I'm just wondering how you go about establishing those partnerships that allow allow you to then approach investors and, and give them a convincing or compelling argument that, that, that achieves those aims. 
basically looking at a strategy and portfolio of a, a technologies in development in the pipeline and being able to uh, present a competitive uh, technology which has got the potential to address high growth markets has been has worked quite well for us and uh, has made many conversations progress in the direction that we want them to to progress towards collaborations obviously for investors and for people in the space um, the storage question is one that tends to generate several different answers depending on who you talk to some people do still see pressurized hydrogen as part of it others say there's innovations in cryogenic hydrogen others will talk about solid state as, as your company does and then even ideas like liquid organic hydrogen carriers or ammonia for example do you sort of see that sort of solid state is going to be sort of one of several parts of a wider storage puzzle and for someone trying to understand where maybe those different parts of the hydrogen storage puzzle fit in where do you see your company and sort of solid state fitting into that mix so um, uh, thanks for mentioning the scale it's very important to basically customize storage solution solution that basically uh, uh, matches the scale that you want to work uh, at uh, the uh, cost of your solution who your user uh, is and uh, um, what's the budget that you're trying to to uh, to look at some solution would work in one area they wouldn't work in other area so and and that's why we're not developing a solution for example for uh, automotive because our technology is more uh, competitive on the uh, drones uh, with its lightweight and what we can achieve with 3D printing structure and um, with the large scale which is the cost uh, in sense uh, which is the cost uh, uh, sensitive uh, solution uh, where basically we're aware that we need we're, we're, we're competing with uh, um, other solutions that could be cheaper so we need to make a strong business case so it really matters where are you trying to implement the solution um, and what is the, the cost that would be uh, you'd be willing to pay and uh, at the same time uh, what other alternatives you have on the brand a uh, solid state might be the best solution for some uh, cases it might not work for others and you would need to recustomize the technology to match these okay and Andrew, I know we did this with uh, Graham, so I just want to also offer this as well. Um, and as we try and uh, talk about as many different things in hydrogen as we can, given the podcast name, but obviously we miss things in the conversation. So we wanted to just give you the chance to kind of mention anything that you feel was really important that we maybe didn't have a chance to touch on or any particular message that you really want to convey to people who, who don't understand this space, but uh, who are trying to learn and who, you know, if you had a sort of condensed message for them about what your company's doing in solid state storage hydrogen, maybe you could pass that on. Um, so uh, my message would be around the importance of collaboration in the industry. This industry is still at the very beginning of exploiting its potential and the potential of hydrogen moves beyond um, finding just an energy solution, but it's also very important to initiating a new industry with an economic impact, but importantly because hydrogen, the molecule, uh, as an energy carrier doesn't have any carbon in the first place. So 
when you burn it and use it as uh, as energy uh, to ex to extract the energy out of it, um, it doesn't generate uh, any harmful emissions and any uh, carbon emissions. And this might be a very important equation to solving uh, many problems that lead to climate change coming from uh, emissions. And collaboration in this industry could really push it forward to achieve uh, the decarbonization targets and solve uh, uh, climate change problems. Fantastic. Uh, with that, I just uh, really wanted to say thank you so much, Anas, for coming on and making the time. I, I appreciate it very much. And uh, Chris, thank you for, for making it out to Imperial College as well. Always a pleasure, Andrew. So, Chris, uh, we've talked about hydrogen and mobility quite a bit, but uh, H2Go Power was the first hydrogen storage platform that we've had onto the show. So, why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about how H2Go's technology fits into that space? Yeah, sure, Andrew. So, I mean, obviously, great to have Anas and uh, talking about H2Go Power and solid state hydrogen storage. It's a really interesting area of the market. Just a quick overview for people who are sort of not so familiar with the space. Typically, when we talk about storing hydrogen, it really comes down to sort of a function of scale, i.e. how much hydrogen you're trying to store. So conventionally, if you're trying to store relatively small amounts of hydrogen, so you know, if you were doing lab sort of research or maybe even something like a conventional fueling station, a lot of the time you're simply storing hydrogen in a pressurized container. And then these can be of varying different um, sort of materials. Some might be steel, some might be carbon fiber, sort of it depends on the particular supplier. Uh, and typical sort of pressure will go from sort of 200 bar upwards. The other way you can store hydrogen is you can liquefy it. So you just cool hydrogen essentially down to, I believe it's minus 235 degrees centigrade. And then you can store it as a liquid. You can store it in larger quantities. So these are sort of the two conventional ones. Um, the other thing that you see a bit in the UK and a bit in the US is the use of salt caverns for really large scale hydrogen storage. Uh, this is something people are talking about um, sort of expanding further down the line. So those are the conventional storage methods. There are also two other forms of storage, which I guess are somewhat conventional, but maybe don't seem obvious. So so these are where we convert hydrogen into a different, um, essentially a different fuel source. So the hydrogen is still there. It just has to be extracted back out of something else. So some people, for example, would describe ammonia as a hydrogen storage method. So you can convert hydrogen into ammonia and ammonia is much easier to store than hydrogen. It doesn't need to be as highly pressurized or cooled to the same degree to basically get that sort of volume to weight trade-off. Because, you know, the main thing to remember with storing hydrogen is that this is the lightest molecule that we, we have. And so really you need to find a mechanism to store large volumes of it in an area without taking up a huge amount of space and obviously trying to do so in a cost-efficient way. So ammonia and methanol are two sort of, as it were, derivative hydrogen fuels that you could, or some would say, are a means of storing hydrogen. And now recently, we're talking about two brand new ones. And so solid-state hydrogen storage, which is what H2Go Power provide, is one of these new spaces. And there are relatively few companies that have uh, been involved in this space. Um, it's quite complicated, and NAS certainly was talking to some of the advantages of it, but it is technically complicated, and, and there are not too many uh, working units out in the field. But the other form that is slightly better known, but is still quite prototypical, is a form of storage called a liquid organic hydrogen carrier. And there's about three companies in the world that are currently known to have 
solutions available. This is where essentially you use a mechanism to store hydrogen inside an existing fluid. So some companies use a fluid called tuline, and essentially the hydrogen is uh, stored inside that through a sort of chemical conversion process, and it can then be transported and stored in basic oil drums and basic oil barrels and existing facilities. And then when you want to get the hydrogen out, you usually have to use heat to get it to release. So solid-state storage is, is in that sort of newer camp of technologies that has a lot of promise, but is very much at the forefront of the cutting-edge aspects of how do you store hydrogen in a cost-efficient and space-efficient way. I know you said it's quite complicated, but what what exactly do we mean by solid state? So Nas spoke about this a little bit. You know, if you sort of took apart one of the H2GO units, it would almost look like sand, right? I mean, the idea here is that instead of it being a gas that's pressurized, instead of it being put into uh, a liquid form because it's super chilled or it's merged into a liquid, like a liquid organic hydrogen carrier, you literally are taking something that is solid in nature and you are trying to incentivize or encourage hydrogen to bond with um, that solid material effectively in such a way that it's just easier to store large quantities of. It's not as sensitive to things like temperature or uh, other climatic conditions that might affect the storage. So, for example, heat is something that will affect hydrogen storage because if you are in an area that's very, very warm and you have liquid hydrogen, then obviously the energy that you need to keep that hydrogen liquid is going to be greater if it's in a warm environment. So the solid state is kind of attractive because you have this idea of NASA described it as sand, but it, I mean, it will depend on the particular chemistry of the company that is working on the solution, but it will look like a canister from the outside and then inside will be these sort of granular elements that hold it together. There's another company called Ardeca in the States that does something of a similar magnitude, but they do it for the US military. So again, this kind of idea of something that's very easy, light and portable that you can carry around with you. Sure. And is the future of the hydrogen energies and the storage component of that sector, is that solid state? I mean, if it's made cost effective, cost efficient and profitable, is that the future of hydrogen or is there a sp- a place for all of these different storage mechanisms? Is it a combination of, of all of the above? Well, so Anas spoke a little bit to the fact that um, one of the things to bear in mind with solid state is that depending on um, what materials you're using, there are still material limitations, right? Like batteries, for example, lithium-ion batteries. Yes, they are fantastic mechanisms for storing electricity, but there are finite resource constraints that will impact on how many of them you can build. And similarly, from what Inas was describing with H2GO Power, there are certain limitations around the components that you would use for various different types of solid-state storage technologies. Now, maybe um, there may be some concerns initially, and again, I'm sure people will find new technologies which will help circumvent part of that. Um, But it seems unlikely, and certainly that was the impression that Anas gave, that this is going to be able to address all forms of hydrogen storage. It very much will be something that I think is going to be done on an application-by-application basis. And I think also at this point, given that there are not many units like this available, there's very few of these technologies that have been deployed in the field, we don't really have an understanding of how the commercials would necessarily work out at this point. So even if potentially it's safer and potentially it's more efficient, we don't know actually from a cost perspective if it makes more sense or not at this time. Well... For my last question then, Chris, I wanted to find out from you uh, when H2GO Power is going to send over one of their drones for us to test out. Well, I think, as far as I understand, there's some rather nice content that H2GO Power have been working on that they'll hopefully be sharing with the public soon. But um, if you do get a chance to swing by Imperial College London and you um, send a NASA email in advance, then maybe she'll uh, be kind enough to go and show you uh, the H2GO power system. Um, she's very kindly showed me around the laboratory and you get to see the system. It is 
incredible because something also that's quite interesting is the way that they produce the uh, containers for the solid state material itself. So, you know, she described it sort of like a sand type material, but obviously that sand has to be contained inside something. And so what's amazing is that H2Go Power actually use 3D printing, print different shapes so that they can store this sand-like material in these different shapes so that you can then adjust it depending on what type of uh, storage shape would maybe be optimal for the application. So in the case of a drone, for example, she was explaining how sometimes you might want a drone to have a certain shape or configuration or a certain aerodynamic profile. And with a gas-based container system, that can be more challenging because there is a certain configuration that they just need to have. But with a solid-state storage mechanism, it's different. You can actually have much more flexibility in how you shape and design uh, the mechanism which is storing the hydrogen. Uh, and so in that sense, it's quite, it was quite interesting to go and see it. So uh, if you find yourself in London and uh, you send an ass a very nice email, then who knows, maybe you'll be lucky enough to go and have a look as well. I feel like you kind of dodged my drone question there, but I'm going to let it go this time. We'll come back to it next time around, man. Well, well you, you know what? As I said to you before, if you want to go see a drone, you just have to invite one of the drone makers on the show. That sounds like a great idea. Let's do that next time. <laughs> next time. All right, man. Well, thanks for joining me from London. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please send us an email at podcasts at inspiration.com or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at about hydrogen. Lastly, if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, whichever platform you prefer. It really does help us get out there and get to a larger audience. And frankly, if you don't like the podcast, don't submit a review. Finally, I'd like to thank Inas for joining us from London today. It was a pleasure speaking with her, and we hope to have her back onto the podcast and to hear more about uh, what H2 Go Power is doing in the future. We'll look forward to that. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to having you join us next time.